everyone. <coughs> Sorry for the cough. Happy Corona week. Um, things are getting kind of out of hand with the with this virus. Um, my take on it is we are seeing a massive panic and massive overreaction to something and um, a lot of what I'm seeing and hearing, especially from the business and event side, and is people are just worried about liability, meaning no one's requiring anyone to travel for work because if that person gets sick with this, which for 95% of the people is no worse than the common flu or a common cold, um, they don't want liability because enough places have canceled Enough politicians have raced in to declare national emergencies so they can collect their federal aid dollars, etc., 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 that everyone's just shutting down for a couple weeks uh, simply uh, because they don't want to be sued or held accountable should, God forbid, someone did it, get it and someone die. Meanwhile, uh, tens of thousands of people in the U.S. alone have died from the flu and flu complications this winter. A couple thousand people have died in drunk driving accidents. 24,000 people were killed last year in crosswalks in the U.S. Pedestrians were killed. Uh, the list could go on and on and on and on of things that are more deadly than this flu virus. But in the age of media hype cycles... In the age of social media hype cycles, we see how things can get out of hand pretty quick. The swine flu infected 60 million people and killed, I think, 16,000. Um, we didn't shut down business conferences. We didn't shut down whole organizations. We didn't restrict travel for companies. Uh, there has been plenty of far more dangerous Pandemics, or whatever you want to call them, have gone around that have not elicited a response like this. So I, um, I say take advantage of the hysteria while you can. And that's both in your business life and your investing life. Um, fortunately for me, the, you know, I'm not a believer in it and don't mind traveling, getting on planes. And for other like-minded people who have made it to a convention or two that we've been to and who are still working and showing up places, there's a lot of business to be done. And with the vacuum of those who aren't willing to do that, there's deals to be made and there's investments to be made and there's profits to be made and things like that. So, um, you know, book your travel plans now. I saw a flight... $400 round trip to London, I'm sorry, $800 round trip to London plus a four-night stay at a four-star hotel. Book it now. Book it for August. Book it for June. Round trip to LA from Boston, $200. Book your September flights now. Take advantage of it. You know, it's absolutely, in my mind, insane to live in fear of this thing right now. Listen. If it's as bad as they say it's going to be, everyone's dead. Who gives a shit? If it's not as bad as they say it's going to be, 
we're all going to live. And right now, you have amazing opportunities to get amazing prices. Either go, go travel and do things, either in your business life or your investing life. Take advantage of it. I posted on Twitter this week. Uh, I recommend everyone read The Mass Hysteria uh, of Crowds. The old book, I think it was written in the 1930s or 40s. It's a great book. It perfectly, perfectly encapsulates what's happening right now. And this is just mass hysteria on every level. And no politician wants to seem irresponsible, so they're all one-upping each other. This is no different than, in my mind, this is absolutely no different than any other flu virus, swine flu, any of this other crap that we've seen, Ebola we saw a couple years. This is just like a, a weather storm coming up the East Coast in winter. Every weatherman tries to outdo the next one with snow total forecasts and wind forecasts and drift forecasts and wind chill forecasts. Everyone needs to make a sound as as bad as humanly possible because nothing sells like fear. Nothing at all sells like fear. I'm sorry, but... And, and look at the public's response. This is how fucking stupid this is. There's a run on toilet paper, right? So what is the first thing they're telling you? Stay away from crowded areas. Don't go to public events. So what does everyone do? Everyone goes to Walmart to buy toilet paper. Have you seen the videos of people standing 25 deep in line next to each other to buy freaking toilet paper? Get it on Amazon. Walmart will deliver. Use Stop and Shop Peapod. Every one of your grocery stores has some delivery service. But no, what are people doing? They're rushing to Walmart and to their grocery stores to stand in crowded aisles with people, to stand in crowded checkouts with people to buy freaking toilet paper. It's absolute insanity. I went to, I got, I had, or I got the munchies for brownies two nights ago. I went to Stop and Shop in my town here, and there was one box of brownie, Giardelli brownie mix left. Thank God, because I would have lost my shit if it was gone. One box. Out of probably like 30 or 40 that are normally there. The entire bottom row of Domino's sugar, you know those two or three pound bags of sugar? And we're talking... We're talking probably 15 feet of shelf space cleared out. Who's stockpiling the sugar and why? It, it, it blows my mind. It absolutely blows my mind. People's response to this stuff. We can't go watch a basketball game, but by all means, go go so chant armpit to armpit for two hours in Walmart with people and clear out the shelves. That's okay. I, I don't... I'm never going to understand people's responses to stuff like this. So, and then look at the market. I mean, the market's a perfect example. I'm getting emails all week. Thank God, not from Value Place subscribers. I'm getting random emails from people about selling everything. Going to cash with the market down 20%. And, you know, I, I don't know anyone's personal situation. You know, if you're 80 years old and whatever. My response is, I'm buying here, I'm not selling. And for those of you who follow me, we bought KMI this week. A couple, we had a couple of transactions in Kenny Morgan, but got bought Williams. Williams yielding at 1.12%. Kenny Morgan at one point hit 9, 10% yield. I'm sorry, but I will buy that all day long. For that to be a bad investment, you have to believe the use of natural gas in the United States and globally is going to plummet. 
Because right now we have too much. To, we have more than more than we can put in the pipelines as it is. Meaning that even if natural gas demand fell, we're still going to be pumping full pipelines at Kinder Morgan to Williams. And oh, by the way, it's take or pay contracts. So they're paying anyway. So they're going to pump the stuff through the pipelines. And if it gets to a point where natural gas demand plummets that much, I'm going to be honest with you. The last thing you're going to be worried about is Kinder Morgan stock. Because everything you own is going to get crushed. But if I'm right, think of it this way. If you're in 10% dividend in stock, you double your money, right, every seven years. Rule of 72. And that's, that, that doesn't include Kinder Morgan going from, I hit 1330 at one point when we bought on, uh, on uh, Friday morning. 1330. Rebounded hard off that, what well, the whole market did in the last hour. We see what happens Monday. But I'm telling you right now, if it hits, if it hits in the 13s again, all day long, I will hit the buy on that. If it drops down to 12 or 10, all day long, I will hit the buy on that. If I can get a 10% and growing dividend, start at 10%, grow double digits a year. In 10, 15 years, I'm making 20, 25% a year in my, in my investment today. And that excludes any appreciation in the stock price. I'll take that all day long, every day of the week. Same thing with Williams. Williams almost 12% at one point. They're growing their, they're growing their dividend 10 to 15% a year. The only way that doesn't happen is if basically we have another almost near collapse in the U.S. And we don't have near collapses from stuff like this. We will have, and, and this is going to be an interesting earnings season. I'm sorry I'm babbling before the questions, but I just this has been bugging me all week. Certain retailers are going to have blowout quarters. Your BJ's, your Costco, Walmart, they're going to have a blowout first quarter. The shelves are empty and they can't stockpile their shelves fast enough. People are just running in, buying stuff like crazy. They're going to have blowout first quarters. Your clothing retailers are probably going to be suffering. If this goes longer, I bet you Amazon does really well because more and more people will be staying home and ordering stuff from Amazon. Walmart has a great delivery service. I use it a lot. Same thing as Amazon, you know, 89 bucks the whole year, free deliveries. A lot of times in here, I get it next day because there's a Walmart in my town. So I get next day delivery for free. I get, you know, dry goods, you get food, frozen items, whatever you want, they'll deliver it. Clothing, I mean, it doesn't matter. They're going to do well. A lot of your supply chain people are going to get hit hard, right? Your manufacturers, clothing manufacturers are probably going to get hard because, you know, things aren't moving. They're not stocking shelves. But there'll be a hard rebound in probably mid-Q2, right? You figure this fear goes away. Spring hits, summer hits, the virus dies out like every other virus does. And they'll rebound hard in Q2. The market will rebound hard. So I don't know what's going to happen Monday. I don't know if it's going to drop another 1,000 points or rally 1,000 points. And honestly, at this point in time, it's almost doing that intraday right now. But look at the stocks that you own and look at them. Like if you if you would have sat there in the mirror in January and said, Jesus, if I could have ever bought Kinder Morgan at $13 a share, 
If I could have bought Williams at thirteen dollars a share, or I could have bought Apple, whatever Apple's trading at now, AIG's down fifty percent. If you could have bought these stocks, and the financials are suffering because interest rates have collapsed, but that'll turn around too. You know, in January, if you, if I would have said, "Oh, geez, could you imagine if you had bought Bank of America at twenty, twenty-two bucks a share, whatever it hit this week?" Be like, "Oh my God, that would have been so great." Well, now's your chance. Now's your chance. If you were scared the stock market was at all-time highs twenty-five percent ago, well, here's your chance to buy it now. This is this is the the market's reacting like it's two thousand eight. But what's happening now is absolutely nothing like 2008. This is not a financial crisis. Banks are not collapsing. The housing market's not collapsing. Nothing at all. This is a completely fear-induced panic. No relationship whatsoever to 2008. And people say, oh, if it drags on for six or eight months, da-da-da. Pandemics don't drag on for six or eight months. It's a virus. When it gets hot out, the virus stops spreading. That's what happens. We're already seeing the infection rate fall in Korea. We're already seeing the infection rate fall in China. China's reopening. Starbucks reopened in China. Disneyland in China's reopening. China's already reopening, but the American stock market, the American public, because they're finally here, is acting like it's just begun. It's already winding down in places where it was. These things last, what, three to four to eight weeks? And then they go away. And you watch, we're going to see the same thing in the U.S. When this is all over, you know, maybe 100 people will die, which is less than who died last week of drunk driving accidents, by the way. Roughly 30 people a day in the U.S. die of drunk driving accidents. A day. This has killed, I think, 40, uh, the last number I saw a day or so ago was 47 people since the outbreak started. And 13 of those were elderly people with severe underlying health conditions in a single nursing home in the state of Washington. And the majority, average, age, average median age of death is about 76 years old for those who die. And they almost exclusively all have significant underlying health conditions. So if you're a healthy 30-year-old and you're scared of this, you're delusional. If you're a healthy 30- or 40-year-old, and you're scared of this. There's no reason to. You should be more scared of getting the flu because your likelihood of dying from the flu at 30 or 40 if you're healthy is multiples of dying of coronavirus if you're 30 or 40. And those are just the facts of the numbers. That's just what it is. It's not me saying it. It's just what it is. You're more likely to die in a drunk driving accident. Obesity kills multiples. The, the, the reaction to this virus, in my opinion, is basically like banning all fast food and chips because obesity kills millions of people every year. And obesity, obesity-related diseases kill millions of people every year. Don't even get me started on tobacco. But, I mean, all bitching aside... Hysteria provides opportunity. Fortunes are made when you bet against the crowd in moments of severe distress, whether it be psychological, financial, terrorist-related, whatever. When you're really willing to look into the abyss of the market or the abyss of the panic or the abyss of financial 
a situation and hit that buy signal because you're thinking clear and you're looking clear at the future and you're making logical decisions, not fear-based ones, that's when fortunes are made. That was when we bought GGP. That was when we bought American Capital. That was when we bought Bank of America three or 400% ago. Go down the list. Go down the list of all the big four or 500% winners you've had over the years. Every one of them was bought at a time when you bought it, you were crazy or stupid or whatever people want to call you. I never got as much shit in my life and any investment I've ever made is the one I bought GGP. And I had I had people at Lehman, I had people at uh, investment banks and brokers telling me I was just a fucking moron and that people were going to sue me when they lost money because me, me saying I was buying and telling people they should buy it was irresponsible because we all know what happens when companies go bankrupt. The equity gets wiped out. They looked at their assets, looked at the liability, says, you're stupid, it's simple math, it's going to get wiped out. Not one of them bothered to look and see that it was non-recourse debt. That they couldn't get wiped out because the banks couldn't afford to take the losses in 2008, 2009. So, don't buy into the panic. I'm not saying do something stupid. I'm not saying force yourself into public events and stuff like that where you may catch the virus or whatever. Or, you know, because let's be honest, even if it is no worse than the flu for most people, the flu still sucks, right? I mean, so no one wants to catch it. But stopping your life and stopping doing business and selling all your financial assets because people are panicking the Dow dropped 20%, in my opinion, that's sheer lunacy. It really is. I have not sold a single share this week. I've only bought. And it's on the blog what we bought at. It's on Twitter when I bought. It's on stock twits when I bought. So it's right there. Everyone knows. It's not me just saying I did what I didn't and whatever. It's there. So that's my initial rant. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'll hit it once again before we're done because I just... I find the reaction to this to be so overblown on every single level. You know, if you're a 75-year-old person who has diabetes and high blood pressure, you know what? Be worried. Right? Maybe, you know, maybe avoid going to the restaurant for a few days. Right? Or maybe avoid going to the mall around a bunch of people. What we're going to find is a death rate from this thing is a fraction of what they're saying it is. Right? Because no one's died under the age of 50 that I know of, in the U.S. at least. Right? So if that means no one's died from it, 30 and 40-year-olds really don't feel that bad, feel that well, don't go get tested. So you have millions and millions of people who, are, who have not been tested for it. So the actual infection rate is far lower than people say it is, which means the actual death rate from it is far lower than what they think it is. I've read doctors from Harvard saying this, from NYU saying this, from Johns Hopkins saying this. This is not, you know... This is not, this is not, you know, Vinny the doctor that the Today Show finds to put on who's going to whip everyone to hysterica, but some schlep who was kicked out of med school with D averages who managed to get an online medical degree from Puerto Rico who's going to go on the, you know, Good Morning Show and say, oh my God, this is a pandemic, we're all going to die, don't go out of your house, da da da. I mean, trust me, they can find a doctor to say any single thing they want. And this is not. 
this is not a dig against most doctors, but, you know, my ex-wife was a personal injury lawyer, and believe me, you can find a doctor to say anything you want. All right? That's just the way it is. And four doctors can look at the exact same data and have four different opinions. So, I would, I would say consider the sources on a lot of these things. And a lot of these TV doctors, I mean, let's be honest, they're, they're a doctor and they're just reading a report with someone. They haven't studied it, right? They haven't done any research on it. They're reading newspaper articles or coming to some conclusion based on something they read or whatever they think or whatever. Hey, this is going to get me on TV. Now, Fannie Mae, here's the first question. There is a recent article with Calabria saying there would be no windfall for Freddie, Freddie, Fred, Fred, huh, sorry, Fannie Freddie shareholders. Is it referring to common? Can we also assume the stock is down for reason of increased foreclosures due to market sell-off? Buy more? So Calabria's been saying no windfall for shareholders since day one, and he's been saying this purely for political reasons. Democrats are adamant that the current administration is doing what they're doing with Fannie and Freddie simply to, quote-unquote, enrich their hedge fund buddies. And this is something we've talked about for a while on the blog. Um, so Calabria and Mnuchin have been saying that, you know, we don't care what happens to shareholders. This is going to be a windfall for shareholders, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because they have to. It is a politically correct thing to say, because if they don't want to get interference from Congress, they want to be able to proceed with their plans without Congress starting to meddle, they have to say all the right things. So that's what they're saying. They've said it from day one. Do I believe they mean it? No. I think it's obvious that if you bought Fannie or Freddie stock for two or three cents a couple years ago, you're going to see a windfall when they recap and release. Right? Your stock's going to be worth much more than you bought it at. I think if you bought preferred shares of 4 or $5 a share, there's going to be a windfall when all's said and done because you're going to get more. Now, it depends how you define windfall. Is it 10%, 200%, 400%? I don't know. I don't know how you define windfall. But I'm pretty sure those who are against hedge funds making money will call a 1% gain a windfall or not being wiped out a windfall. And those who aren't don't care if they're wiped out or not aren't going to really care about any perceived windfall. Now, the fact of the matter is, as we've said here before, you know, those hedge funds, right, they represent pension funds, New York City pension funds, Teachers unions, police unions, firefighter unions. These are retirement plans and pension funds of workers. So yes, will the hedge fund manager make money? Of course you will. But also will the thousands of people, the funds under they have under assets, also will also make money. And that's conveniently lost on a lot of people who'd rather just make political posturing points rallying against the rich than looking one level deeper and seeing that, well, yes, but if they make money, then all these other people beneath them do too. You know, maybe that's such a bad thing. Um, and I, I don't, we have not seen any increase in foreclosures due to the market sell-off at all. There's absolutely no data whatsoever that foreclosures are rising at all. Again, this is not any type of uh, financial panic anywhere near 2008. This is a strictly market mania Event. There's no economic data slowing it down. Jobless claims came in under the expectation last week, 211,000. So it's not affecting the job market at all. Now, if this drags out for four or five weeks, will it? Yeah, it might for short term. But as soon as this is over, everything's going to fire back up in a major way.
Um, when am I buying more? I'm not buying more. I've had a steak that I've had for, God, it seems like 25 years now, how long this has dragged out. Um, so I'm satisfied with the amount that I have. So I'm personally not buying more at these levels. And I see, you know, other opportunities and other things that we own um, that I think will rebound in price very quickly and they have less legal hangover. So that's my position is where it is, not because I don't think buying more, if you don't, if you, if you don't have a size steak that you want, you know, obviously, yeah, these are great places to buy it. I'm personally not doing it just because I have the size steak that I want to have. Um, I argue, um, I, <laughs> so I agree with you. This whole thing is completely uh, effing insane. A theoretical question. Yesterday's chatter that the majority of the S&P could go bankrupt over this virus seems like peak absurdity to me. Um, I would say without question. It's just, it's actually, it's actually, in my opinion, dangerously, uh, it's, it's irresponsible to say that. It's grossly irresponsible to say that. And I think that when people get on the air and they start saying things like that, it's kind of like yelling fire in a crowded movie theater. And there should be consequences to things like that. I, I really believe that. I mean, that if, if the majority of the S&P 500 did not go bankrupt in 2008, it's not... It, 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 I, I, people who say... I don't know who said it. And if the person who wrote this question knows who said that... Um, could show me that I'd love to write a long blog post about how irresponsible that person was. And, and you know, it, that's statements like that cause uninformed people or people who aren't investment savvy to sell all their stuff. And then the market rebounds, they've lost, they've actually cemented in losses on a shit ton of money. If you haven't sold a stock right now, you really have not lost a penny, right? You've lost paper profits. You don't actually Gain money or lose money on any stock transaction until the day you sell it. And that, that's just a fact. The day you sell, the day you realize a loss or realize a gain, that's when you've actually won or lost money. Between that, it's just paper profits going up and down. So if you saw this idiot on TV, whoever said that, and sold, and market's down 20%, and you sold, you actually cemented those losses in. And we know, based on countless studies that that person who sells at the bottom will not buy back in the next day. They will wait until they're sure the market's okay, which would be when the market goes back up 10, 15, maybe hits 20% up again. Then they'll buy back in. And they just cemented in huge losses. And that's why I despise perma bears. Every time market does it, they come out circling the drain like a turd and start ranting and raving about the end of the world Causing, 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 causing honest, good people to make mistakes. Because, you know, hey, this could be you know, a truck driver, a farmer, someone not well-versed in the market, or, or someone who's got a 401k at home they've had working at Walmart for 20 years and doesn't know, and they're going to retire in a couple of years, so they sell everything right now because this guy said that. And just lost 20% of their retirement, where if they had sat and waited for six or eight months, would have gone back up, they'd have been just fine. There needs, I think there need to be consequences to people that do stuff like this. Um, how do we get to this point? And once the situation resolves itself, are we set up for a similar reaction where a legitimate crisis hits? Um, how do we get to this point? It's it's just it's we're we're living in a world where we panic first and ask questions later, right? Um, and an isolated incident hits, 
we immediately extrapolate that nationally and globally and we go into panic mode or protest mode or whatever. That's that's part of the problem. Davidson on the blog wrote a great place about the information age, panic in the information age. And it's very true. Panics spread far quicker and far more intensely now because of social media and our access to information and misinformation. We have tremendous access to to information, which is a good thing, but we also have just as much access to misinformation, which is a bad thing. And unfortunately, there are people out there who willingly spread misinformation to whip up the kind of responses that we're seeing right now. Whether it be for their own personal gain, to get on TV, for blog subscriptions or blog hits or... Um, you know, whatever you want to say, speaking engagements, whatever, name it. There are people who capitalize on fear for profit. We've seen it throughout the ages and in every which way you could possibly imagine. I mean, let's be honest, look at CNBC, right? At times like this, all you see are the panic people on TV. This is going down. This is going down. This is going down. Every doctor who says the whole world's going to die, they're all on TV. You know, the guy's sister says, yeah, you know, this is maybe a little bit worse than the flu. But at the end of the day, only 50 people have died versus, you know, 18 to 30,000 have died from the flu this winter. You know, the, the final estimates from the CDC will come out later in the spring. But that's the average. About 30 to 40,000 have died from the flu. So just be careful and the market will come back. That guy's not getting on TV. That's boring. So that's how we got to this point. We have too much media that's in too much competition. And the only way, right, the only way to outdo the next guy is to make it a little more scary than what the guy did before you. Be a little more dramatic. That gets a few more eyeballs. Gets a few more advertising dollars. Are we set up for a similar action and legitimate crisis? I mean, I don't... You know, I... I guess it depends on the kind of crisis, right? I mean, if it's a war or terrorist attra- terrorist attack, I mean, we tend to deal we tend to deal with that better, honestly. You know, it, pandemics are, are they're they're scary because you know <laughs> this is this is so Netflix today. Uh, one of the top movies on Netflix, you know, they have the top ten list was that Dustin Hoffman Cuba Gooding Jr. about this this virus that gets out and kills billions of people. And if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about what's going on, nothing will. It was, it was a movie, I think it was made in like the, the, the mid-1990s or maybe early 2000s. It's a 20-year-old movie. I, I think it's actually called Pandemic. I'm not, I'm not remember the name. But Dustin Hoffman's in it, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s in it, and it's one of the top movies on Netflix right now. I mean, there you go, right? Everyone's probably, people are probably watching that saying, yeah, this is what's happening now. Yeah, this is what's going on now. This was this was going to be like... Let's go buy more toilet paper at Walmart. Get up a day. Jesus. Um, all right, oil. I think the Russian-Saudi standoff is unsustainable and likely ends much earlier than the posturing from either side suggests. Do you agree? How long do you think either side should actually with $30 oil? Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think this oil thing lasts long. I think a lot of the oil... So I think the China thing came at the exact... If you're... 
if you're long oil, exact wrong time, right? So you had the pandemic, so you're going to see some global slowdown anyway. So demand from oil is going to take a breather. It's not destroyed demand. It's delayed demand. Um, and then you have this price oil with Saudi Arabia pumping more oil into the market. I don't think either one of them want to live with $30 oil. You know, the Saudis have been very happy with oil in the 50s, the 60s. Um, you know, oil in the 30s is no good for Saudi Arabia. It's no good for Russia. So, you know, I don't, I don't really see this lasting a long time. That's, you know, that's my two cents on that one. Um, so the third question has a lot to it. I'm not going to read it all because there's a lot there. It's probably five minutes worth of reading. But I am going to put it on the question list. And it's about a couple things that have happened with the GSEs. Um, you know, Goldman Sachs had a meeting a week and a half ago. ACG Analytics did a conference call last week. And Don Layton commented on a week ago um, kind of the gist. And basically, ACG Analytics, you know, FHA and the administration want this done, meaning recap and release, and are taking actions that are irreversible if Trump doesn't win, as we've said for a long time, right? They have to do this before the election. And I think now that you're seeing, okay, again, okay, let's 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 play this out. This coronavirus lasts instead of eight weeks, twelve or thirteen or fourteen weeks, right? It's completely out of normal, but it does. You know, maybe we start to tip into recession. You know, going into the election in a recession, Trump's chances are not very good. Incumbent presidents do not typically win if they're in a recession. Look at George Bush Sr. Right? He was the last president when we were in a recession. He didn't win. Jimmy Carter was before him. Didn't win. All the other ones were afraid from recession. If a incumbent president is not in a recession during re-election, he wins. I think it's 95% of the time. If a party, if it's not a um, an incumbent year, right, it's too... Um, it's a Democrat, Republican, first time running for president. There's no incumbent. This is what, like when um, uh, uh, Trump ran with Hillary. Then if there's a recession, the party in power loses seats. If there's not, the other party gains seats. So that's just typically what happens. Um, so that being said, now that we have economic uncertainty versus where we were in January, you're damn well right that Calabria and Mnuchin, matter what, the, ignore what they say publicly, ignore what's happening. They are in a rush now to get this done. They need these out under consent decree, need to raise the amount of capital, and the only way to get these out under a consent decree is to settle with shareholders. I don't see how they can legitimately do that with a senior preferred stock outstanding, no additional changes to the senior preferred stock agreement in these lawsuits winding through the Supreme Court. I still maintain they settle with shareholders before the, before the Supreme Court rules on anything. It's too much of a risk for the government. Can you imagine if we're tipping into a recession in June for whatever reason, and then all of a sudden they get a verdict that blows a $200 billion liability back on the government? Does anyone even want to fathom that scenario? Because I don't care who started it. I don't care whose fault the um, senior for stock was. I don't care that, you know, it was 
It was Bush's administration that did it. Obama never changed it. Trump hasn't changed it. It'll be whoever's in power when that suit is lost is going to take the heat. Don Layton, former CEO of Fannie, said in comments that preferred shares return the par. Although Layton said some kind of settlement could be negotiated or there could be a deal to trade junior preferred shares for common shares. And that's really nothing we haven't thought of before. There's going to be some sort of, uh, some sort of negotiation. Whether the whether the junior preferred shareholders agree to take a little bit less than par, but then have a larger conversion into equity post recap sort of thing, <clears throat> or post capital raise. There's a million ways to, to settle this thing. There really are. And I, I maintain it's gonna happen. There are things that have to be done first. Right? The new capital rule has to be established, which should be coming by the end of the month. Right. Once they establish that, then they can work on a framework of how much capital they're going to need to get them out of consent decree. The good news is, is Biden is not allegedly, again, you know, it's is not necessarily an enemy of recap and release. You know, I would be more worried if it was a new, you know, Biden's been there so long. He owes everyone in any money proposition something, right? I mean, it's just you don't stay in the Senate for 30, 40 years if you don't at some point in time take favors from every lobbyist on the face of the earth. So he owes he owes people favors, right? I think maybe the biggest risk isn't necessarily I – mean, I think it's pretty clear – it's pretty clear Biden's going to win the election, but let's, okay, for, theory, let's, maybe God forbid he, he becomes sick and can't run, right? I don't wish illness on anybody, no matter what their political views are. I don't wish that on anybody. Let's just play, we've got to play different scenarios, right? Well, then it looks like Bernie Sanders is number two. That ought to scare the shit out of everyone. Because Bernie wants to absorb them into the government. Bernie does not want to recap and release the GSEs have hedge, fund, hedge funds or any investor in a hedge fund make a single penny in this. So that scenario should would terrify people. Say Biden gets sick, drops out, you can pretty much guarantee Liz Warren is going to come back into the race, right? Maybe she could be the moderate. She really she didn't really lose to Bernie. I think she lost to Biden. I think Bernie's voters are Bernie's voters and they're going to vote for Bernie no matter what he does or says kind of thing. Um but I think I think Elizabeth Warren was running against Biden as sort of the the moderate sort of thing, and she lost to Biden. But if Biden couldn't run for some reason and she came back in, I think you'd see her pick up a lot of Biden support. Maybe I, I don't know. I'm just theorizing. But she's pretty anti wealth, anti markets, anti hedge fund manager thing. So I can see her being a problem too. I think your real problem, you know, if you assume it's going to be Biden Trump running, yeah, I think your real problem is if the uh, 
Democrats take the Senate. Because who's going to be head of the committees then? Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, blah, 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 blah. That's not good. So you have you have scenarios where getting anything done without if they don't have a consent degree in place before the election, it's going to be a real problem. So they have to make it a consent decree that cannot be reversed, right, by a next administration or cannot be hauled up in Congress. But they need to get it done enough time before the election so that everything's hunky-dory. Now, I don't think they're going to be able to do a capital raise before the election, which is okay. Because they can, they can do a small one to see how it goes. Exit under consent decree, right? And this, the consent decree doesn't go away until, boom, right? They reach the capital in the reach and do subsequent races down the road. But this is no different than what the FDIC does with banks that get in trouble. And it's, it's actually quite common. So it's not something I'd be worried about legally, it'd be challenges to it or things like that. Mnuchin is very confident he can do it. And him and him, see, and they've said this for a long time, it's very true. Him and Mnuchin don't need Congress's authorization to do this. Now they've 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 and again when they go over Congress, we'd love to have Congress involved in this. We that is just a dog and pony show to keep Congress out. Because we all know Congress can't agree to shit. They can't get anything done because they've had 10 years. 12 years now, I'm sorry, to deal with Fannie and Freddie. 2008, they approved conservatorship. 12 years later, they've done nothing. They haven't even had a vote come to the floor on it in, a, in 12 years. The only thing that would galvanize Congress to act is if Mnuchin and Clarity said, hey, we don't need you, we got this. All of a sudden now, every senator would want to be real, whoa, 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 what do you mean, what do you mean, what do you mean? But with them asking for help and saying, we really want to work with Congress, we hope Congress can come to um, do this. At the end of the day, Congress is in charge of this. Congress is great. Congress, they're not going to do anything. But as soon as you insult them or tell them you're going to do it without them, that's when they, you know what I mean? That's when they start to galvanize. So like children. So when they get up there in those congressional hearings and you see them on TV and you hear things like, we don't care about shareholders, there won't be a windfall for shareholders, um, we hope Congress can pass legislation to do this, or we, we, look, we look for Congress's guidance. That is all bullshit. They're saying what they have to say, saying and doing the right things so that Congress stays out of the way. And I firmly believe that 100%. And nothing they've done behind closed doors has given me any um, any reason to think anything different. Now, when I say closed doors, I don't mean anything sneaky or underhanded. I mean, you know, they'll go to Congress and say, we want Congress to do this, we're waiting for Congress, we're waiting for Congress, and then a week later they'll come up with three rules. They're not waiting for Congress. They're not waiting for Congress at all. So, you know, I, I don't think collaborators have shown anything underhanded at all. I think they're playing the political game like they have to play it. And they're doing what they have to do. And you know what? 
Good for them, right? You got, you got a job to do. Do it. So, all right. I think I've um, I think I've ranted enough. We are uh, forty five minutes into this, and uh, I think I'll give everyone a little break and I'll sign off. I hope everyone has a safe coronavirus free weekend. And I hope your families are all safe and happy and joyful and everything like that. Um, strap yourself in Monday for this for the markets. Um, I don't usually predict market outcomes, but I will predict this. I have a feeling Sunday night we will see some sort of large scale coordinated stimulus from the global banks, from central banks globally. I'd be willing to bet we see something on a, a large scale level coordinated rate cuts or liquidity infusion, something like that. Um, in which case, we could have a good, 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 solid update on Monday. So be on the lookout for that. I think if you don't see something like that, that ought to be a sign that, you know, central banks aren't really worried, you know? So I don't know. Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. Time will only tell, right? So, all right, guys, have an amazing weekend, and I will be back next week.